0: Praise the Lord. It is a joy and honor to be here this morning to share God's Word uh, with you. Uh, If you would turn your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but we'll be in verses 17 through 25 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, I would encourage you to take that Bible that's underneath that seat and open up to page 1101. 1101. As you are uh, preparing uh, to receive the word of the Lord this morning I do want to encourage you we do have a resource available for everybody on campus it's a, a special prayer guide specifically dealing with everything that's happening uh, in the Middle East and so I would encourage you to, to pick that up and, and one of the things I want you to keep in mind as everything is happening we have to, to recognize that many many of the people that are being impacted by the events in the Middle East uh, both Israel Gaza Palestine all those areas they have not only uh, failed to believe in Jesus, they have rejected Jesus, right? And so as we pray for peace, as we pray for the events that are happening there, ultimately we need to be praying that salvation will be brought into those places, right? And the minority is followers of Christ, right? And so we need to pray that the gospel, the power of the gospel would go out. And so I would encourage you to take up Uh, this resource guide it's all throughout our campus it's one sheet of paper and and just committed to prayer it has a lot of scripture references there and uh, I I just believe that through prayer uh, God can do mighty things and we get to be a part of that even though we are not directly associated with it as far as locality uh, we can pray that the gospel would advance in the midst of tremendous persecution so I would encourage you to do that. As we open up uh, the scripture this morning, let us pray and ask the Lord to honor this time. Lord, as we uh, just come before you this morning, we're so thankful uh, to to just to be a part of uh, what you're doing, Uh, to not just be uh, observant, people who observe what you're doing, but Lord, we get to participate in what you're doing. Lord, first and foremost, we praise you for the relationship that we have with you through the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, we thank you through the Holy Spirit of God that, and the word of God. We've, we can have constant fellowship with you. Uh, and Lord, we also praise you that when that fellowship is broken, not because of you, but because of us, uh, Lord, that there is a means of restoration and reconciliation. And we praise you for that. And so as we open up your word this morning, as we continue our time uh, walking through uh, Philemon and the importance of fellowship and relationships and unity and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. Lord, let our hearts uh, be in tune with what you have for us to hear and to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This letter is short. We've mentioned it before. It's 25 verses, so half, half a page or a full page at most. Uh, up until this point, so I'm just going to give a little recap so that we can get into verses 17 through uh, 25 this morning. There's four primary individuals, right? You have Paul, you have Philemon, you have Onesimus, and then you have the Lord. That's important, right? Uh, Philemon is in, or uh, Paul's in prison, and uh, he uh, meets a guy by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who was in Colossae, uh, and was a slave under uh, a master by the name of Philemon. Philemon was, uh, uh, and when we think about slavery again, go back to last week's message, it's not the same slavery that we are accustomed to in American history, right? It's totally different, right? Uh, in fact, it's probably, probably the case that Philemon treated Onesimus very, very well because he was a bond servant. And if you remember, after the seventh year that, that your debt was forgiven, you could either go do your own thing, Right? Or you could choose to come back to your master and be cared for in that home. So uh, Onesimus is a bond servant. And so that tells us that Philemon probably took very, very good care of him, right? Uh, however, Onesimus did something wrong to Philemon. Indicators say that he stole and he ran, right? He was a fugitive on the run, but God in his grace, that's why the Lord is so important, brings Onesimus to the feet of Paul where Paul can share the gospel with him He comes to faith in Christ, and through this story, Paul recognizes and realizes that Onesimus has some relational baggage from the past, right? There are some things that have been done wrong, and you need to do everything you can to seek restoration and reconciliation, right? And so he sends Onesimus back to Colossae, 1,300 miles away from Rome, back to Colossae to make it right, and that's why we have this letter. So it's a letter that is built on relationship, fellowship, forgiveness, uh, unity, Reconciliation, restoration, all those different things. Why? Because relationships matter to God, right? And so as we continue to unpack this, what I want us to recognize is from verse 1 through verse 16, there's not one single command. Paul does not tell Philemon to do anything yet, right? Instead, what he does is he, he encourages Philemon, and not just Philemon, because remember, the letter is read into in the house church there where they gather for worship, he's he's going to tell them that, that because of the work of Christ, you are a family, right? You are a family. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you are a master or a slave. It doesn't matter if you're female or male. It doesn't matter any of those things doesn't matter your race, any of those things. At the foot of the cross, you are equal. You are family. And because you are family, you are to express love to one another. And that's what uh, uh, Paul is hearing in the jail there. He's hearing of uh, Philemon's constant love for all the saints. Not just some, but all the saints. And through that family, not only do we express love, but we encourage one another, right? We refresh one another. And we do it, why? We do it for the sake of Christ. We are committed to honor the Lord, right? And then it's based on that. That, that Paul goes in from verse 8 through verse 16. He begins to uh, make an appeal. He has not said anything about Onesimus at this point. Right? His, his name has not been mentioned, but he, 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 he's starting to prime the pump of this gospel work that can happen within the community of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he makes appeal based on gospel love. He makes an appeal based on the power of the gospel. In other words, Onesimus at this point he is, he is, he's a different person. He's not who he used to be. And Philemon, guess what? You have experienced the power of the gospel. And it's through the power of the gospel that, that relationships can be restored and reconciled and forgiven. And it's not just the, the appeal of uh, gospel love and gospel power, but it's also gospel authority. It's the compassion heart of Paul that says, listen, I, I, I don't know why he, he wronged you in the past. But I do trust that God can take all those wounds and all those hurts to bring it to a place where, yeah, you may have lost them for a period of time, but guess what? You can gain your brother forever, right? And then we get to the commands, right? Verses 17 through 25, there's three commands, uh, a, a command to receive, a command to charge, and a command to refresh. And these are the words of scripture beginning in verse 17. So if you, speaking to Philemon, consider me, talking about Paul, your partner, receive him, talking about Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repray it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So that's a a phrase that talks about how Paul led Philemon to the Lord. Uh, He says, uh, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit and so this morning we're going to primarily look at only one command It's the very first command it's found in verse uh, 17 and the scripture says so if you speaking to Philemon consider me speaking of Paul "uh, consider me your partner and I love the word partner because it comes from the same root word for uh, the word that we saw in verse 6 where it talks about fellowship so all this stuff is tying together he says receive him talking about Onesimus as you would receive me now that word receive is huge It's a word that means to welcome, and it it, it has a lot of weight to it. Again, this is about the relationships, and so the word uh, receive here is to welcome someone back to your family circle, right? That's what it's talking about. Open the door. Set a place at the table for him, right? The person that has wronged you, invite them back into the family circle, right? So the picture here is Philemon the master has been wronged by Onesimus the slave, and the command is to welcome the slave in the master's home as what? As family, as family. Now, the question is, how is this possible? One word, forgiveness. That's the first step. The first step to even think about reconciliation and restoration is forgiveness. And that's why we're going to take next week, Lord willing, and talk about uh, reconciliation. And the week following after that, Lord willing, we'll talk about restoration. Because though they do connect, they are specifically different, right? And so it begins, first and foremost, with uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that reconciliation has to happen or will happen or restoration has to happen or will happen, but it gives way to those two things, right? That's important for us to recognize. Now, when I say the word forgiveness, what comes to your mind? More than likely, it's going to bring back some uh, past or present relational hurt, right? Some, someone lied to you, someone cheated on you, someone abused you, deceived you, or took advantage of you, right? Those things that hurt, those things that wound us, What is forgiveness? In the Bible, forgiveness comes in two primary forms. It's called judicial forgiveness or parental uh, relational forgiveness. So judicial forgiveness uh, means that once and for all, your sins are forgiven. Right? You're forgiven completely. But then there's also something called parental or relational forgiveness. That means there's an ongoing forgiveness when fellowship has been broken. Right? So those things are so, so important. The word forgiveness means to fully release, to pardon, to give up a debt that is owed to you, to no longer hold a grudge, seek revenge, or seek to pay them back for the wrong that they have done. Right? This is why the gospel is so, so important. The truth is, on this side of heaven, we are not only going to... Uh, keep hurting people, but we're going to keep being hurt by people, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't change the boundaries of the relationship. That doesn't mean that we necessarily stay where we are, right? If you're being abused, guess what? Get out of there, right? So that's not what the scripture is teaching us, but the scripture is talking about the fact that no matter what the situation is, no matter what the hurt that has been done to us in Christ, we can always glorify the Lord and how we respond, and one of the ways that we do that is through the word forgiveness forgiveness how is that so well three truths that we're going to see this morning first uh, forgiveness begins with God forgiveness begins with God if you really want to understand forgiveness you have to start where you have to start with the Lord right Uh, look at the verses 18 through 20 in our our scripture this morning says so uh, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything charge it to my account I Paul write this with my own hand I will repay it to, to say nothing of your own, owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Guess what? This, this is an amazing picture of something far greater, right? Do you see the gospel in these words? Think about it like this. The Lord is owed a debt, right? That's the ultimate master, right? The Lord is owed a debt because of sin. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem, right? There's a past tense aspect for all have sinned. It's done, right? It's happened. But there's also a present tense aspect. We all fall short. We continually fall short of the glory of God. And no matter what we do, we can't pay it. We can't pay it back. But we have to recognize that our sin is first and foremost against who? It's against the Lord, right? You think about David for a moment. David says in Psalm 51 verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now that's a time out moment, Right? David committed murder, adultery, deception, manipulation. So it's not saying that, David is not saying that I didn't sin against people in my life, but he, what he is saying is that my sin is first and foremost against who? It's against a holy God. And that same is true of us. No matter what the sin is, no matter if it's a sin of commission, meaning that's something that we're doing, or it's the sin of omission, meaning that there's something that we should be doing, but we're failing to do it, guess what? It's first and foremost against who? It's against the Lord. And that sin debt, guess what? Needs to be paid. And like Onesimus, we have a sin debt that we cannot pay. Onesimus has no resources to go back to Philemon and to pay him back for what he has done. And that's why the grace of the gospel is so important. Someone else pays the debt that is owed, but not just anybody or just someone. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one qualified and the only one able to pay our sin debt. The scripture teaches us in Isaiah 53. Verses 4 through 6, surely he, speaking of Jesus. So this is prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, strapped on him, the iniquity, the punishment of us all. So when Paul says to Philemon, listen to the words, charge it to my account, I, I will repay it, I write this with my own hand, the picture is a promissory note, it's an IOU, yes he owes a debt, but put it on my account, do you see the picture of the gospel here, greater than Paul, Paul is just a picture of someone who is greater, his name is Jesus Christ, we have a spiritual IOU. To the Lord that can never be paid off. The scripture tells us that there is a written book kept detailing every record of wrong. So every thought that you had, every action you had, every word you said that was a sin against the Lord. There is an account of that. The question is how does it get paid? Colossians Chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, teaches us that my record of debt because of the work of Christ and my faith in him has been paid in full. He says, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By how? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, how? Nailing it to the cross. That is the great news of the gospel. That your record of sin, the, the record that continues to grow and my record of sin that definitely continues to grow has been nailed to the cross. The legal term is it has been expunged. That means that not only have our sins been pardoned, but the slate has been wiped clean, right? The record gets pulled up and there's no record at all, right? Praise be to God for that. How is that possible? How has it been removed? How far has it been removed? Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How is that possible? Because it's covered by the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, our record of sin will never, ever, ever be used against us by the Lord. Now, Satan uses it, right? But the Lord doesn't. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, it doesn't say that the Lord forgets. That's not the Hebrew word for not remembering. Right? That's not what it's saying at all. This means that even though the Lord does remember what we've done, again, he's not holding us accountable to it. Why? Because the punishment of what that sin deserved has been placed on his son, Jesus Christ. We are forever forgiven. Forgiveness is about God. Before it's about you, right? That is huge. Do you see forgiveness in that light? In the midst of relational pain, relational hurt, is that the first place that you go to? That forgiveness starts with God. It starts with him and his forgiveness is a gift of grace given to you. So as you are being wronged in this life, guess what? Do you rest in the forgiveness that you already have in Christ? because that gives way to the second thing. The second thing that we see in our passage this morning is forgiveness is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Verse 21, Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. In other words, Paul says, Philemon, in light of the beauty of the gospel, you're gonna do far beyond what I'm commanding you to do. Philemon's obedience ultimately is to Christ, not to Paul. Not even to Onesimus, right? Again, your forgiveness of someone is not first and foremost ultimately about that person. It's about the Lord. As a follower of Christ, no matter what your situation is or what relational hurt you have, there is a command to forgive. Why? Because we have been given new life in Christ and that's one of the things that the Lord requires of us. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 So, this new life put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, the command to forgive is anchored on what? The fact that we have been forgiven greatly by the Lord. When Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus, he says this in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, he says, let no corrupting talk uh, come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, right? Now think about that word grieve for just a minute. It's a relational word. The word grief in this context, is talking about a grief so heavy, it's like your child dies, right? And I can't, there is no grief greater than that. And this is what this word tells us. You cannot grieve what you do not love. And the very fact that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, can grieve the Holy Spirit means that what? What? We are greatly loved. We are greatly loved. And it's a reminder to us that the Holy Spirit is extremely personal. He is with us everywhere we go. And because this is true, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All those characteristics of the old self, the ways that we wrongly treat people, right? Instead, put on the new self, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Man, what a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to forgiveness, the grounds of our forgiveness of others and receiving the forgiveness of others is found where it's anchored in the fact that we are already forgiven in Christ. In Christ. When Jesus is Uh, Talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 17. He's addressing the 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 temptation to sin and here's the story in verse 3 through 6 Jesus says pay attention to yourselves If your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him and if he sins against you seven times in the day And turns to you seven times saying I repent you must what you must forgive him In other words, no matter how many times a person sins against you even it's the same sin You forgive him again I'm not saying the boundaries have to be the same I'm not saying I think boundaries need to change when somebody's constantly sinning against you right but the reality is what that you are to forgive over and over and over again you are to release that person pardon that person give up the debt that is owed to you right and it because of this listen to the response of the Apostles the Apostle said to the Lord increase our faith what an amazing statement in other words there's no way we can do this Lord Maybe once, but not not over and over and over again. Again, God is calling us to do something that we cannot do on our own. Why? Because forgiveness is not natural for us. We would prefer at least an eye for an eye, if not an eye for a head, right? You hurt my eye, I'm taking off your head, right? And notice how Jesus responds, verse six, and the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now that mustard seed is extremely small. A small seed of faith invested in the Lord can do great miracles. Why? Because God is able, right? That's what the scripture is teaching us. And the illustration of a mulberry tree makes perfect sense in the context. A mulberry tree's root system is extremely invasive. It can be very dangerous and damaging. It's fast growing. And if you don't care for it properly, if you don't take care of it and deal with it properly, guess what? It can destroy everything that it's around. And what is it that is in you and me that can destroy everything that's around us? The sin of unforgiveness. The sin of unforgiveness is like a nasty root that grows quickly and extremely damaging. Damaging your life and the lives around you. And what gives us the foundation for forgiving the hurts that we've experienced in this life? Faith. Faith. Faith does. Faith stands on the promises, the power, and the provision of God. I can't, but God, you can. I love what Philip Yancey says. He says, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. And so in the midst of relational hurt, forgiveness reminds us that, that what by faith, we stand in the promises, the power, and the provision of God. And when we think about Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he did. He trusted. He put his faith in his Father, his Heavenly Father. Even in the midst of great agony on the cross, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, he, speaking of Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, So he didn't do anything wrong, right? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he did what? He continued entrusting himself uh, to him who judges justly. So Jesus surrenders not only his will, but he puts his confidence in the goodness of his father. So what do you do when God calls you to do the very thing you don't want to do when it comes to relational hurt? What do you do when you don't feel like forgiving somebody? Anybody been there before? You respond in faith, right? I am trusting what God has said to be true. When we choose to forgive, we are choosing to trust God. It's an act of obedience and it's a form of worship to the Lord. Forgiveness expresses that my faith is genuine, even though it's weak at times, a lot of times, and that God, through his gospel, is real. Forgiveness is an act of faith. And then lastly, uh, forgiveness is hard, right? I mean, we got to talk about that. How many of y'all agree that forgiveness is hard? Extremely hard, right? It's easy to counsel people to forgive others until you are the one. You are the one who has to grant forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need it, but it's a very hard word when you have to give it. Why? Why? Because forgiveness involves real people, real pain, and a real past, right? I mean, think about that. That's a challenge, right? Uh, we see an amazing picture of how hard it is to live in, in a spirit of forgiveness. In Matthew 18, the scripture says this uh, in verse 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, speaking of Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now this is important because according to Jewish standards, what you would do is you you would forgive someone three times for the same sin, but if it happened the fourth time, then they're not forgiven, right? That was the picture here. And I love Peter. Peter is like an overachiever, right? He goes beyond the three. He doubles it and adds one, right? I'm thinking I'm going to be... And notice that Peter says, if someone sins against me, not me against them, Right? It's an amazing picture. And notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. In other words, forgiveness has no limits. In other words, if you're keeping account, a track of how many times you've forgiven somebody, you're missing the whole point, right? That's what he's saying. And Jesus goes on to tell this amazing parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And what you have is the king, the king is owed debts and he wants to settle his accounts. And there's a person that owes an enormous amount of money, uh, so much money that it's impossible to pay it off in a lifetime. And he goes to that person, says, you pay your debt, and the, the person just wants more time to do it. But again, it's impossible for him to pay it off. And so the king, being extremely gracious, does far more than what this person asked for. Remember, he just wanted more time. The king satisfies the debt himself he wipes the slate clean so this unforgiving servant who has been greatly freed from the debt that he could never pay confronts a man who owes him very very little and demands that it be paid back the scripture is very clear he grabs him by the neck right the question is how is it possible for someone to be forgiven so greatly but yet demand something so so far less, right? That's the picture here. This is why I think the scripture talks over and over again about the importance of loving our neighbor. You go back to the Old Testament. Again, this is why the Old Testament is so, so important. One of the reasons why. Uh, When the Lord speaks to Moses about the importance of loving your neighbor, uh, forgiveness is certainly a part of that, right? Uh, And he tells Moses to tell the people these words in Leviticus 19. He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's three don'ts here, right? Don't seek revenge, don't hate your brother, and don't hold a grudge. Then there's two things you're supposed to do. Tell the truth, right? Confront them with truth and love. And do what? Love them. Treat them as if you were the enemy, right? That's what it's saying. Do you see the problem that many of us have when we experience relational hurt? We are naturally drawn to the three don'ts, not the two do's, right? All of us are drawn to the three don'ts. Because deep inside all of us, we are wronged and relationally hurt, and we want what? We want justice. We want justice. This is where we get stuck. And one of the reasons why we get stuck here is because we see justice from the eyes of the world, not the lens of the gospel. The world has many definitions of justice and it all surrounds itself around one word. The word is vengeance, vengeance. This is why the Bible teaches us in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave... uh, it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine." I will pray, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome; uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're trusting that God is going to right all wrongs, right? Either through the cross of Christ or through the judgment, right? That, that's ultimately what we're putting our uh, putting that on. And and here's the point that I want to make. Love can't be dropped when relational pain comes your way. It can't. You see, justice isn't just about uh, a penalty, a punishment. It, It involves love. And we see that in the cross, right? The cross teaches us that justice pays for sin, but also loves the sinner, right? That's important. Let your new life in Christ reflect honesty, righteous anger, and the love of Christ through forgiveness. And praise God that he never calls us to do anything in our own strength, right? Notice some of the resources that we have one, accountability. Verse 22 in, uh, in Philemon, it says, at the same time, uh, it's an interesting verse, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So Paul's in prison, right? And he says, hey, pray for me. Pray that I can come back to you. Go ahead and prepare a room for me, right? It's almost like Paul saying, hey, here's your marching orders. Here's the gospel. I'm gonna come check to see how you're putting it in practice. I'm gonna check to make sure that your faith is being put in to practice. Then we also have the community of faith. The community of faith, uh, verse 23 and 24, and we'll talk more about this uh, next week, but just to hear, to see how God, again, forgiveness is hard, so God gives us the resource of accountability, a community of believers. Uh, Epaphras, my fellow uh, prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So again, we have this community of faith. Now, we'll talk more about some of these individuals next week, but the reality is, Philemon, you are, you are being called to do something you can't do on your own, right? So I'm going to give you resources, I'm going to give you accountability. I'm going to give you a community faith. And then I'm going to give you divine enablement. Paul ends with this amazing prayer. Verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a prayer of grace. And here's what's awesome. For the majority of this letter, the word you has been very singular. It's been talking specifically about Philemon. But you get to the later, latter stages of the letter. Guess what? The you switches. It's not just you Philemon. It's y'all. It's the community of faith. And so the scripture here is teaching us we need the power of the grace of God to work in us and through us, especially when it deals with relational hurt, especially when it deals with giving and receiving forgiveness when we have been wronged. But what gets in the way of receiving forgiveness is oftentimes pride. Pride gets in the way. That's why James says in James 4, 6, But he, speaking of Jesus, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the context here is what? The context here is uh, there's a contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world, right? They're at odds to one another, right? And and if we aren't careful in our relational hurts, we will lean on the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of the Lord. In other words, we'll, we'll adopt a mindset that says, God, I trust you, but not with this one. Not with this hurt, right? When, you get our, when we get our eyes off the cross of Christ, forgiveness doesn't seem fair at all. It doesn't seem fair to see someone receive grace when I am the one that's been wronged. And we live in a culture that promotes what? Outrage, not forgiveness. Do you recognize that today? And that culture has so infected our homes, so infected the church. It's not about forgiveness. It's about outrage. They're wrong, and we are right. You see, outrage is the norm. But the, co- the gospel is calling us and equipping us to go against the grain. And like the story of the prodigal son, when we harbor a posture of unforgiveness, what started off with a beef towards the younger brother will ultimately become a beef with our heavenly father. That's exactly how it happens. Notice the caution that Paul gives to the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Listen, when you choose to harbor a heart and a posture of unforgiveness, you are given Satan an opportunity, an open door, a foothold in your life. And we need the grace of God to work deep down in our spirit to heal the brokenness that has happened with our bodies and our mind and our emotions and our relationships? Do you trust that God can heal your brokenness? And one of the steps that God is calling us to in the midst of healing the brokenness that we experience in this life, one of those steps is the step of forgiveness. If if we want healthy relationships, specifically within the body of Christ, forgiveness, forgiveness has to happen. You see, an unwillingness to forgive those who hurt you is unbiblical, unhealthy, and it does not free you. In fact, it holds you more and more captive. How many of us are captive to bitterness or a grudge from the past, a past hurt? Listen, again, I'm not saying that that relationship has to stay the same. I'm not saying that that relationship has to be reconciled or restored. I'm not saying that at all. But forgiveness is more about you and the Lord than that other person, right? And when we get hung up on the hurts of the people that are around us, things in the past, things of today, it not only impacts that relationship with that other person, but it ultimately impacts your relationship with the Lord. That's why the foundation of forgiveness is so important. It starts with God, right? It's an act of faith, right? And we have to recognize it is extremely, extremely hard as you think about your relationships today. I I don't know every story, but I I know enough to know that relationships are hard. But again, the the command doesn't come until the very, very end. Why? Because the buildup is surrounded by the gospel of Christ, the grace that is found in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus, to know that you are first the sinner and then second sinned against, right? And so I want you, I want us to anchor Uh, that process of healing in what Christ has done, not based on what we hope somebody else will do, right? Have you seen the evidence of God's mercy and grace in your life today, even in the midst of hard times? I encourage you, surrender whatever that thing is, whatever that hurt is, to the Lord.